At Athletic Brewing Company, our innovative process allows us to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to golden ales and more, our beers are made with organic grains and start at only 50 calories. Now you can enjoy the refreshing taste of great beer anytime, anywhere. No matter your motivation, if you want to keep a clear head and drink healthier, Athletic Beers are here for you. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. For 45 minutes every Friday, we take a deep dive into the minds of the fastest and most interesting people in the sport. This week on the Fastest Known Podcast, we're digging into the iconic Nolan's 14 line with famous trail runner and writer Megan Hicks. Wow, wait wait a minute. You don't sound like me. Who are you? <laughs> it's me, Zoe Rome. Zoe, well, that's terrific. You were on the podcast last week. You are so good that you are indeed the co-host this week. And that was a brilliant introduction. You should do this some more. We should do this together a lot more. <laughs> like we do it for a living. <laughs> well, you do. And of course, uh, you do host your own podcast, which is in the show notes last week. But we don't want to detract from Megan. That was an excellent introduction. So welcome to Megan Hicks the managing editor of irunfar.com. Hi, Buzz. Hi, Zoe. That really was a super pro intro. I'm into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just to set the stage, uh, Megan, you've you've done a lot here. I, mean, I Run Far is iconic. You've been the voice of ultra running for a few decades now. And we are also going to dive into your personal exploits and of course, Nolan's 14 is one of them. Nolan's 14 is this classic, classic route in Colorado, uh, summiting 14 summits over 14,000 feet tall. And you have two FKTs on that. So help us out. What's up with Nolan's 14? Or why are you so dedicated to it? Well, if anybody has driven the highway connecting Leadville, Buena Vista, and Salida, you would know why there is so much to love about Nolan's. Um, I stumbled into the Soach range when I was in college. Uh, my major was geology. And one of the coolest parts about my major was that we did these multi-week field trips to go see geology in action. And um, the Soach Range was uh, one of our destinations one summer because it is a perfect example of like the Rocky Mountain uplift and that part of North America's geologic history and what, what has formed so many of our mountain ranges out west. And it is in my mind, it is such a sexy skyline when you're looking at the Soach um, from the east, it's just bam, 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 mount, you know, one peak after another with these really dissected valleys in between. It's um, It caught my eye and it captivated my attention when I was, I don't know, maybe 20. And ever since then, I've been going back little by little. And um, I actually, I have no idea when I first heard about Nolan's, but it had to have been through adventuring with um, Anna Frost uh, in 
all over Colorado, somewhere around like the 2013, 2014 time when she was, she also was spending time on Nolans and slowly but surely it captured more and more of my attention. It's an easy place to love. Like, let's be honest. I mean, aside from like having that amazing skyline kind of start to take up more and more space in your imagination. Um, so like it, it, you know, to do Nolans and to like have it count, I guess it has to be in under 60 hours and it's a hugely ambitious line. When did that start to feel possible for you? Because that's not, you know, that's not a, you know, it's not an intro level route. Like what, you know, <laughs> was there a moment when you were like, I really think because previous to the summer, you were the only woman who had done it in under 60 hours. So when did that feel possible to you? Um, Yeah, I think that's a really, like, that's a really fair thing to say. And I think I played around on the Nolan's line for a good two to three years before I began believing it was possible to do it under 60 hours. I think I spent um, some time in 2013, 2014, and uh, the beginning of 2015, doing stuff on Nolan's 2014 and 2015. I think a lot of that time was spent with Anna Frost when she was wrecking for her 2015 attempt. But I can remember going out with her on some mountains and thinking, I mean, I think it's possible for Anna Frost to do it, but Anna Frost is a different category of human being um, if you've ever been on the mountains with her. So yeah, I'm not sure it was until the year that I attempted the first time 2016 that I actually, you know, you add up the splits enough. uh, You kind of get faster at that type of terrain, which is like a a lot of actual running, but then this weird like techie half running and then just like stomping really hard uphill. Um, So it kind of takes a while to like hone your ability on that. The, the, the nuances of the Nolan's terrain too. Well, Megan, that's an excellent answer there. And going right, getting right down to FKT nitty gritty, as you just mentioned, 2016, you became the first woman to get it under 60 hours. And then this year, finally, uh, almost four years later, Sabrina Stanley brought that time down. She did it and you started it off with two days, 11 hours, and she got it down to two days, three hours. And then you went back literally four weeks later and took an hour off of that, actually more like 45 minutes. So that was, you guys were getting after it. But then she came back twice in one summer and got it down to just over two days. So you two have had this wonderful back and forth activity. Totally. I also want to put some props in there for some other ladies on the line because uh, although maybe the fastest known time website doesn't acknowledge it, I actually like to think of Missy Gosney and Anna Frost's 2015 effort as them being the first women's finishers under 60 hours. Um, you probably recall that they stopped their effort, uh, stopped timekeeping their effort at the summit of the 14th mountain, had a celebration and then wa- had a celebration with their crew and then walked down. And um, the, the, quote unquote, like let's let's use air quotes of the rules of Nolan's, the guiding principles of Nolan's, leave that kind of open. And at that time, really like that was kind of open as to where the finish line for Nolan's was. I think things have evolved in the last five years and almost everybody considers 
the trailheads as the start and finishes these days. But back then it was a, it was more of an open, open-ended thing. So I like to think of them as the, the, the first under 60 hour women's finishers of Nolan's. Right. They put in a lot of time, a lot of effort. They had a great, great uh, Nolan's there. And as you say, it was, uh, it was very vague. And that's why we do fastestnewtime.com. <laughs> Not to do this or that, but simply to have a uniform standard that everyone can relate to. We want a level playing field so everyone knows what they're shooting for. Sure. Absolutely. I, it's a it's a new era of fastest known timing these days, right? Yeah, I guess I have a question I'd like to pose to both of you guys. I feel like, you know, having these set rules and standards and rituals around FKTs um, has obviously encouraged a lot of people to seek these things out because like it's not like goalposts are moving and you can meet times and you like, you know what you're going and there's, you know, really specific objectives. And this is something I've talked about with Megan before, but I feel like, you know, having some of these like gendered categories or some like kind of hazier rules, like maybe leave some potential off the table when it comes to maybe encouraging people or recognizing people who've achieved amazing things on these iconic routes. And I'd love to get both, you know, your guys' perspectives as, you know, buzz of fastestknowntime.com and Megan Hicks, who also is, you know, a, a, a journalist and an arbiter in this industry and someone going after a lot of ambitious FKTs. On my end, and I look forward to hearing Megan's thoughts as well, as I just mentioned, all we want to do, we, we don't want to be arbitrators of anything. We just want to set a very, very level playing field and be very honest and transparent so people know exactly what they're shooting for and the rules are fair. That's that's our entire goal. And then if someone comes up a little short, then post in the comment section so you can have as much discussion as you want. But just by the nature of it, fastest known time literally is just that. So you could have a fantastic outing. And if you're one minute slower, you know, you don't make the grade. And so in that case, just post a comment. You can post all the comments you want and have all the discussion you want. And that's the only reason we do that is because it's a worldwide site. I don't think people realize that we receive approximately 35 to 40 FKT submissions every day coming from all over the world. So the only way to manage that is just, again, to standardize the situation. Yeah, I guess I, I don't envy where fastestknowntime.com is right now with, um, I mean, I think the FKT, like people going for fast times on their favorite routes or iconic routes, I think that was uh, very clearly on the upswing in the last couple of years. And then now that we've entered COVIDian times and everybody is, attempting to move fast in beautiful places. I think um, you guys that you are like surviving 2020 is pretty amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think Zoe, you point out uh, where I think there is uh, a huge room for our community and our, um, our niche of endurance running to grow is that sort of gap between um, okay like go to a race starting line or go to a race finish line. Everybody's there, front of the pack, middle of the pack, back of the pack, cheerleaders, cheerleaders, using the terminology of Big's Backyard. Uh, so in, you know, like we could say uh, FKTing is sort of in the adventure running type category. It's like an offshoot. So, you know, now we've been focusing on the front of the pack, but look, there is adventure running uh, available and stories to be told and places to go with that aspect of, of our, you know, the niche, our niche sport, like 
let's start. It may not be on fastestknowntime.com, but there's, I think there's tons of room for us as, uh, as journalists and storytellers in our community to grow and embrace, you know, adventure running, whatever speed you choose. That's a good point. And we could recommend, uh, Zoe's daytime job for that, couldn't we, Zoe? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, hearing Megan, I feel like, wow, my, you know, I personally and, you know, our industry as a whole has a lot of room for growth on this, but I think this is something that Megan's also done really well in her, in her journalistic career is like making these like kind of weirder niche adventures in the trail running world feel like closer to the core or feel more accessible and attainable, whether it's like through her writing, through how she chooses to cover things through like guides that she lays out to these crazy like stage races or just the fact that she goes out and does these things. So I feel, you know, like whether your storytelling is through your writing or going out and like just doing it, I, I, I feel like I, I personally have a lot of room to grow there and that I would love to see our industry collectively move towards better um, and more helpful coverage of these things. We were just saying um, the the bikepacking.com website. Do you guys ever visit that website? I do. Super cool website, like really focused on any speed, any speed multi-day bike travel, but the adventure and the storytelling aspect and oh, so rich. All right. That's a good point because the, and the counterpoint to that, which I've also been on is backpacking light. Yeah. Get on, you know, decades ago because it's, you know, good technical source of information for how to go light while backpacking. But unfortunately, they just stuck with that venue. And so it's all about how much does your pack weigh? <laughs> so it's wow. I mean, it's like, wow, you're still talking about that. And so it's sort of the opposite <laughs> of what you just said. It's 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 all about numbers. It's like engineers just you know, suck this stuff up, but there is no storytelling. So it's uh I like I like it. This is a good point. That's how do we connect? How do we build the in my view, it's how do we build the community in whatever form that takes? Well, my yeah, I feel, right you know, now. kind of circling. You go, Zoe. <laughs> well, just circling back to how Megan, like one of the ways that she was introduced to this route, right, was by like helping other women, like, you know, like crewing, pacing, assisting other women, scouting the line with other women. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what role crewing and pacing other women has played in how you kind of grew closer to this line and like how that's helped you and maybe how that can serve as a model for other women to get into, you know, whether it's the sport or, you know, even like, ex, you know, more extensively, like how does helping others and supporting others, how can that make us better at the things we care about? How does that help us get closer to our own goals? Not that that's the intention behind helping others, but I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's utility there too, beyond just helping your friends. And I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about that. Honestly, I, uh, the, the saying wasn't born in ultra running, but Courtney Dewalter reminded me of it earlier this summer, rising tide lifts all ships. And I've really felt that in terms of my experience with other women in this year on Nolans. I mean, honestly, in past years, scouting and wrecking the Nolans line has been a bit of a solo affair or me going out with dudes. Um, there have been a few women here and there also wrecking and attempting. Um, it's just like schedules didn't line up 
in order to spend time together. Um, so it, it, yeah, like my sort of relationship with other human beings and Nolan's has totally evolved in 2020. And I really like, I don't think I have words yet for how amazing an experience it was to share a place, uh, a wild place, a hard place that's really special to you personally and like grow human relationships in that part of that. It's like all intertwined and it's like 2020 is a hard year um, because of COVID and all of the changes to our personal and professional lives. And I'm going to remember my days on the line with women for like, until I'm like the little old lady in a assisted care living facility telling stories. Like that's what I'm, those are the stories I'm telling. Cause it, it's been so moving. That's, that's very, Megan, I'm impressed. I mean, that I had never thought about that. And Zoe, thank you for asking her that question that in this wild place in Nolan's is big, obviously it's huge. And you're making personal connections. That's one of the things you're valuing about the experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think I did better at Nolan's this year because of the people I spent time out there with. Like, it's just, I think some human beings are just made to thrive on like positive energy and lifting each other up and working together and like solving puzzles. Like there's just a a synergy that gets created with some people and man, like, I'm only speaking for myself here, but I really felt that. And I became a better Nolan's uh, traveler because of the women I was with for sure. Okay. Well, if if, if I may bring this back to the hard place here, so to speak, are you going to go back and have another go? Time will tell buzz. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, that's very good i appreciate that but uh will you tell um okay so here's where i am um i did fif- i did 59 and a half hours my first time i went into this attempt this time uh with a 52 and a half hour split sheet and i finished 50 and a half hours and uh, I, it wasn't without problems. And, um, so thus I know I can go a decent bit faster than I have. Um, so there's, I'm a person who feeds off of like personal growth opportunities and like, so knowing there's personal physical growth opportunities there, like that makes me feel hungry. But I also like, like you, I love to explore the world. And there are so many beautiful places still to see and so many things that I really want to do. And yeah, I I feel torn between, uh, you know, like, coming back and dedicating another summer to Nolan's versus moving on to some of the other projects and places and things I want to do. Well, that's very fair. That's that's a very, very good answer. I can definitely understand that because you can see there's a little room to maneuver is what you're saying in your time. But on the other hand, wow, how much time do you want to dedicate to this slice of the planet Earth? Exactly. And that's, you know, that's the crux of it, right? It's like, you know, do I 
spread myself thinner or like, you know, try new things a lot? Or do I like really, you know, root down and dig into this specific thing? And I guess, Megan, I'm curious to hear what it's like to dedicate so much time to a specific line. Like you must know that area just so intimately and feel so close to it. Like how did you grow closer to that area? And what did you learn about yourself from like just really rooting into a project like Nolan's? I I honestly, I'm not sure there's a better feeling on earth than like looking at a hillside and knowing like intuitively in your bones, how to go down it. Like, I I don't know. I don't know if that goes back to like far into our evolutionary history, but to be able to just drop in and go all the way to the bottom and not have to think like to feel like, like that is just so, that that feeling is so good. So yeah, I mean, I think I definitely have divided thoughts about like going back to, I mean, I've run, for example, Marathon de Saab in Northern Morocco six times because I've come to like love the way the desert looks and feels and acts. And I love how I feel when I'm out there. And it's the, this Nolan's has captivated me in the same way. Like there's just, it's great to go out and see new places, but it's also amazing to know a place really closely. Wow. I, I get that, but just to stay with it for another few minutes here. So you've done really, really well in Nolan's. I didn't know you did MDS six times. You've been <laughs> on the podium. I, I didn't know it was six. Wow. But uh, you've got a first, you've got a third there. I definitely knew that. And then you know, you've done a fair amount of exploring, but your only other FKT is on Wheeler Peak in Nevada. So, oh, Megan, I didn't know where... I had an FKT there. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> well, Wheeler funny. Peak and uh, June 18th, 2018, to be specific. So, what, what? what else is up? Yeah. Is that a typo? Weird. Well, if it is, we would love to be corrected. So oh, you amazing. could go on our website and look up your own account. <laughs> amazing. Amazing indeed. So click on the upper menu bar, athletes. You can type in your name and see what comes up. Wheeler Pete comes up. Mm, okay. So if this is incorrect, we would love to be corrected. That's kind of what we do. But that aside, what else is up, Megan? I mean, where else do you want to go? What else do you want to do? And I, you know, obviously you do a fair amount of fast packing. You wrote an article on fast packing for I Run Far. So what what else might be up for you? Um, well, Brian Powell, my husband and I split our time about half the year in, in Canyon Country outside of Moab, Utah, and half the year in Silverton, Colorado in the San Juan Mountains. And both of those places uh, offer a lifetime of adventures. And so, I mean, definitely on my like close horizon is planning adventures through home landscapes. Um, I got accepted to be a part of the snowman race in Bhutan, which was supposed to take place in the fall of uh, 2020, but they've postponed it till next year. And Bhutan we studied Bhutan in grad school because of their environmentally progressive, like governmental policy. And um, I've always wanted to go to Bhutan. So that's kind of if, and when that happens, I'll be like dream come true in terms of far off destinations. 
I really want to go back and spend more time in the Uinta Mountains. I used to live only an hour and a half away from the Uintas when Brian and I lived for a couple of years in Park City, Utah, and those mountains still really call me. Um, the and Wind Frosty, <laughs> Frosty, Frosty, your friend, of course, was in Bhutan. She did a trip up there. She did, yeah. In fact, um, she was sort of a enormous source of inspiration and encouragement to be like, yes, do Bhutan, like whatever you, however you can get there. It's an amazing place. So. Okay. All right. Well, Zoe, what, what do you think about this? I mean, I'm kind of looking at, uh, let me ask Megan one more question here. Megan, this is, I'm perplexed. So Strava, right. We can see where is my friend right now going to Strava. You can see where your friend is. And so you and Brian were spending the winter in Silverton, or is that just Brian? I'm like, what's up? Moab's kind of nice in the winter. Silverton, <laughs> you're like, you don't shovel the path to your house. You dig a tunnel to your house. A little different. So what's up? What, what am I missing here? Okay, so I went to Moab last winter, um, and Brian stayed here because, here in Silverton, where I'm talking to you from now. Uh, he was... Uh, he got an entry to the, I'm blanking on the, oh, the um, White Mountains 100-mile foot race outside of Fairbanks, Alaska. And when he thought he had that entry, he really wanted to train for it properly on snow. Um, so he stayed here last winter. He created the pathway under through tunneling uh, to the front door. He cleared snow from the roof. He chopped a lot of wood. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty rigorous uh, lifestyle being in Silverton in the winter. And he did that all to try to have a have a, a good go at the White Mountains 100 mile. Unfortunately, it was canceled. So all, not for naught. He had a great adventure. Um, but I, I don't wow. I don't foresee that happening again in the future unless he decides to do another winter foot race, which I actually that guy surprises me every day. So if he came and said, <laughs> I want to do something like I did a rod 350, I like probably would not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, thanks for the explanation there because Moab's pretty nice in the winter and Silverton is like, Brian, what are you doing? I'm Megan. I'm glad we're interviewing you. We want to stick with the intelligent people on this. podcast. <laughs> He's smarter than me. He really is. I mean, like he, he may not have like the greatest common sense when it turns to climactic choices, but he's pretty smart. <laughs> Well, Brian was a lawyer, of course. <laughs> that probably counts for something, depending on your perspective. <laughs> That's right. Another thing I'm interested to hear, Megan, about your experience on Nolan's and you know working that route for several years, and this is something you had written about with your you know with your first effort on the line, your, your first effort under 60 hours on the line. That you know there's an increasing there's like more and more traffic on the 14ers every year, particularly on the Nolan's route, not just from people doing Nolan's obviously, because that's like a very small percentage of what goes on up there, but just more people getting out and exploring, which is great, but you know, there's more and more social trails, there's more and more cairns. And I know that you, you know, this is your background is in these kinds of things. And I would love to know what advice you have for people at how we can all be more mindful and we're up in those sensitive Alpine ecosystems. And, you know, maybe you're pushing really hard. Maybe you are trying to, you know, get the FKT on Nolan's, but also maybe you're just trying to hike Elbert and how can we all be, you know, more um, better stewards of the trails when we're in those places? I'm so glad you asked that question. I'll be, really fascinated to see how 
Colorado's recreation traffic shakes out after this year. We all know it's up. We all know like tons more people were up and up in the Alpine. We can see the effects. Um, yeah, it'll be really curious to see how it all shakes out. I think, I mean, the, the, the guidelines for us have been well laid out by, at least for travel in the Colorado Alpine environments by the Leave No Trace uh, international nonprofit organization, as well as the Colorado 14ers initiative. They've got great recommendations on how to move. And honestly, like the way we move and how we take care of the land really varies from moment to moment and where we are, like what we do when we're on a standard trail is probably a lot different from what we do when we're traveling off trail. Um, but the, the resources are there. Um, and it's just a matter of each of us taking the time and having the vested interest in learning what's the most sustainable way to move. So an example of how it would be different from moment to moment is say you're on the standard trail on Elbert. There's lots of social trails that are coming about and have like really come about this year. And it's just, it's just critical to stay on the trail. Um, Colorado 14ers initiative now tells us that uh, five steps on one out on certain alpine plants kill it forever um so five people stepping off trail in the same spot you know whether it's just to get out of the way of another person or to add a jacket or take off a jacket can have a permanent effect on that ecosystem and then if you multiply that by the thousands of people who are using the trail the effects add up and that's what we're seeing out there so yeah, like when you're on the trail, stay on the trail, pass each other. It's it's kind of diff- difficult in COVIDian times, but I think there are ways to pass each other on the trails, staying socially distant, but also staying, you know, not stepping on alpine plants. Whereas, for instance, it's, if you were traveling like you and a friend on alpine terrain, off trail, wrecking the Nolan's line, coming up with your own route, going to hike a 13er or a 12er that does not have a trail at all. Um, Leave No Trace tells us to disperse our traffic. Don't walk in a line with each other. Um, and to, if we come across uh, like boggy, wet terrain, to go around it because our footsteps are more lasting through there. So yeah, it's, um, I don't think it's like an encyclopedic encyclopedic amount of knowledge I don't think it's it just takes a little time to be like what is my effect and how can I how can I slow that outstanding Zoe that was brilliant bringing that up and I immediately made a note to myself to put the website for the 14ers initiative in the written show notes so people go to the show notes and read that click on that the 14ers initiative as Megan mentioned and Zoe was alluding to, has done a fantastic job standardizing the social paths. Because otherwise, there, there was no constructed trails at the top of most 14ers, and people end up doing these braided paths, which becomes this big eyesore, and they'll go up the fall line. So when it rains, the water runs down the fall line and it makes these deeply eroded gullies. And the 14ers initiative is working very hard to standardize the trails and make them sustainable. And they accept volunteers and donations. So check that out. Uh, it'll be in the written show notes. Awesome. Thanks for doing that. There, Colorado 14ers initiative, and then all of the other smaller nonprofits that they work with, like the trail groups that come out and work and do these like, you know, 
14 day hitches up in the woods somewhere working at 13,000 feet every day until it thunderstorms. I mean, it's like true miracle work up there, what they can do. It is. And I might note, Megan, with your two locations, Silverton, which is you know way the heck up there in the middle of the San Juans, where you have to burrow into your house in the winter. <laughs> and then Moab, interestingly enough, are the same in this regard, because of course, the land, the canyon lands around the town of Moab is noted for its cryptobionic soils, right? Mm, which are just not just like, but similar to alpine tundra and their extraordinary fragility. This is when these small little mosses grow on top of the soil. And if you step on it, like one step will kill a cryptogamic soil. So you kind of have, um, you have to watch your step literally in both places you live. Yeah. And I would say that there are a lot of places, you know, a lot of places that people who are listening to this, uh, that they recreate that require a little bit of sensitive care and avoidance. There are some, you know, like the deep rainforest and places like that where growth is just, yeah, I mean, there's just so much growth all the time. Those places are a little bit more uh, resistant to our traffic, but there, there's a, for a lot of different reasons around the world, there's terrain we should be pretty careful on. Well, well, Megan, last week we talked with Zoe about independent publishing, the importance of supporting journalism. And of course, here we are again. So you're, you're right there. I run far.com. I don't think you get much support from the Rockefeller foundation. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Not and yet. Last... Are you anybody listening out there? <laughs> <laughs> I think you rely on listener and reader support. So how does this look to you? Uh, and Zoe, feel free to chime in here because, you know, again, you work for uh, Trail Runner Magazine. So what does it look to you, Megan? What does independent journalism look like here in COVIDian times? Oh, man, like that's a that's like a six pack of beer type talk rather than a can you give a two minute answer? <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a hard world in COVIDian times. I mean, I haven't listened to the podcast with Zoe last week. I suppose I should have. Um, but the, for example, the run industry was just entirely upended by COVID and uh, many, many brands shut down their, you know, their, their entire marketing department. And some, some are still almost entirely shut down or they have no budget for marketing with various media sources. It's been uh, a year of, I guess I would say independent media and in endurance running and running at all, especially in trail running, ultra running, we've always had to be like fairly creative of um, looking for income sources. And always our approach has been to like keep your income sources as diverse as possible because in a niche world, things can change with just a snap of somebody's fingers. Um, and you don't want to be at the, at the whims of just, just one person or one decision. Um, but yeah, it's been, um, it's been hard times, but I have to say I run far is being propped up during COVID by its community. We have an amazing uh, group of supporters on Patreon who uh, continue to dis to support us despite uh, whatever it is that's going on in their own lives, because everybody's touched by COVID financially in some way. Um, yeah, we're 
as uh, brands shut down their marketing budgets, that meant that they pulled back on advertising. Uh, Of course, races didn't happen. So we did not do race coverage, which our race coverage was sponsored by brands. um, And so we were we have been left with the support of Patreon as well as small uh, small advertising um, type situations and gradually marketing departments are opening again. People are slowly starting to spend money in advertising. Um, I suspect it's going to continue like this for a long time. Like COVID isn't going anywhere. Run industry is going to be affected. Yeah. I mean, we're thinking about it in the multi-year. I know that's like really depressing to say, but we're thinking about it in the long term at this point. And we're just so, we're so grateful and stoked to have the Iron Fire community supporting us through this, this really hard time. Yeah, I've just always loved following y'all's coverage. And, you know, I mean, there's, I've never been so attached to my phone than, you know, following Western States Twitter coverage. (laughs) Refresh, refresh. Yes. As a fan and journalist, I'm like, oh my God, they're not updating fast enough. I need more. Um, And you guys just do such an amazing job. And just to see you guys pivot in the midst of this pandemic and, you know, you guys had that big virtual um, run to raise money for the World Health Organization, just really bring the community together. Like you guys had Killian run your virtual race. I just think that you've done an amazing uh, job mobilizing the community using kind of alternative alternative methods and, you know, like not in a way that necessarily just like generates income for you guys, but like gives people like a nexus to rally around, gives people purpose to their running when people, you know, when races stopped happening and we were all looking for a little more meaning on our long runs. And I think you guys have just done an amazing job of, you know, just giving people something to not just like content to consume, but giving people stuff to believe in and stuff to do and ways to participate in um, not just running, but in like COVID relief efforts. And I, you know, I, I think there's just such an incredible model for our industry about how we can, you know, kind of make lemonade out of, out of lemons here. Uh, thank you for noticing that. The, I, I would just, I would just sort of add to it that, uh, you know, you know, when we cover races, obviously we're wanting to storytell in depth the the race itself, but we also look at those like, you know, the, the coverage of the 10 big events as community gathering opportunities, like really rallying people from around the world around one big story, the performances of a group of people, the, you know, the yeah, there's just the multi-day effort and getting getting the community rallying around that. And so, yeah, that's what we tried to do with uh, two virtual events that we put on was to, okay, how do we make some sort of replacement? We're all sitting in our houses. Some of us are on real lockdown where we can't go anywhere. How do we, yeah, how do we come together? And I think, I mean, it wasn't just I Run Far, it was a ton of different entities doing that. And honestly think we succeeded like to the point where now there's like virtual race fatigue or something (laughs) where we came together so many times. The pendulum swung too far. (laughs) But yeah, it was, it was a cool time to see people think about like, okay, we can't see each other in person. How can we do this virtually? (laughs) Well, the interesting aspect, which you mentioned a few minutes ago, Megan, is I like what you said about COVIDian times. I'm adopting your term now. (laughs) There's a major paradox taking place. So back in April, retail shops were shut down. Mm 
You could not go in a running store. So the brands, like you said, had to shut down their marketing department. While meanwhile, the big paradox was online boomed. So Amazon is just you know eating everything up like a giant bulldozer. And at the same time, uh, people are going outside a lot. The national parks are literally crowded. State parks, all the outdoor places are crowded. And yet some people are out of work. So we have this, a lot of strange ironies taking place right now. Do you think we're going to look back at 2020, 2021 and be like, it was an inexplicable time? Like there's no model for it? <laughs> I don't. I, I'm sorry to interject here, but out of it though. My my personal view is, you know, people say I can hardly wait till things get back to normal. And it's like, wow, you got a long wait. <laughs> things will never be back to normal. There's no such thing. There will be the new normal. The world is changed for good, starting now. Right. But I also feel like at, you know, as an eternal optimist, like now <laughs> I mean, I'm more aware of the ways in which I depend on resources like I run for or I run far or like how I depend on my local running store or like all these things that I wasn't as attuned to before. And I feel like we all have just a much greater awareness of our interconnectedness, right? Like whether it's like, oh, I now realize I'm a vector for disease or like, oh my gosh, I can be this incredible vector for joy and optimism in my community. Um, and I think that we're all just like way more, I mean, just more aware of that now. And I feel like, you know, this is something I I, I really feel like acutely in Megan's work um, as, as a writer and as a storyteller is that like, she really does try to always play up that community angle, right? Like this is, you know, I'm storytelling for a community of trail runners, of ultra runners. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, is there anything else that informs like how you approach stories of like, well, whether you're interviewing people after races or how you do the coverage? Like, you know, I always love when you're, when you guys are live tweeting races and you get like a little quote from like, Courtney DeWalter at mile 60 of UTMB says she wants a margarita. Like that stuff sticks with me. Um, I would just love to know like how, how you approach storytelling from, from that community kind of ethos. Yeah, I guess I would say the, one of our guiding prongs that uh, you have pointed out is that we just try to keep it real. I mean, I think there's a, there's a reason why we uh, use Twitter for our race coverage. And that's because um, you can be goofy in these short quips and it's a, you know, you can, you as a consumer can take Twitter with you out on your runs. I mean, we never want people to stop their lives, stop their own running to, to follow somebody else's running. And uh, we try to be uh, goofy at times. I mean, we also like, you know, try to tell stories in, in total as best as we can, but we just try to stay as close to the ground level from both like the production level um, and like the information we try to intake from runners and turn around back to the rest of the world. I mean, ultra running is such a, ultra running trail running is such a dirty, quirky, salty sport. Like let's keep it that way. And so we've never, we've never wanted to like, change the earthiness and so we just try to bring that out as best as we can in this in the storytelling we do wow. and in addition to not wanting to stop other people's runs you and brian are also amazing athletes how does i mean oof, i have no idea how you guys do it how do you do it how do you and like how does your how do your personal pursuits inform what you do whether you're writing you know a guide to marathon to sob or you know 
interviewing another woman who's just finished a, a line or a race? Like how does your own athletic career or just passion, how does that affect what you're doing? Well, I guess, I guess, I guess we strive for something closer to objectivity in when we're trying to cover other stories, but you can definitely see Brian and I's personal interests creep into our editorial. Uh, for instance, Brian just uh, published last week this like guide to how to get into fly fishing if you're a trail runner and you know running past water sources with with fish. Um, so that's definitely an example of his personal passion like creeping pretty far into our editorial. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a it's a balance. I mean, we're uh, we have a a great team of columnists and regular writers. I think there's 14 of them. And, you know, we're fortunate that they're really creative people who've got their noses and toeses into all kinds of different stuff. And that stuff, you know, just makes its way organically into our editorial. Um, yeah, it's, I, I would say that there's no uh, clear answer. There's no directive or standard procedure that we use. It's just uh do, doing our best to try to represent a little bit of everything. And then of course our, our personal passion sneaking in. <laughs> I think that one, does, right. one does note that you and Brian uh, are really different. So you're doing Nolan's, you're doing Maritime de Saab. Brian's a fast guy. So he's, uh, he's due to actually run together. You know, about five minutes after, or Five minutes before I joined you on this podcast, Brian and I finished a run together. <laughs> well, that answers that question. <laughs> no, we, um, uh, yeah, we're different. Uh, we usually run together between one and three times a week. Um, yeah, he's faster than me, um, but he slows it down to have an enjoyable time hanging out with his wife. We enjoy, we enjoy running together. We are we are very different people, and our interests out in the out in wild places are are different at times. But we um, are married and enjoy each other's company too. <laughs> Excellent, and he will be listening to this podcast. So well done, Megan. <laughs> Got that in the uh, marriage karma category. <laughs> well done, as always. Well, Zoe, I have one more question. Maybe you have one more question or a comment, which is, this is a big uh, overall one for Megan. What's up for 2021, Megan? A race is going to happen again, or is it going to be continue to be virtual? I like your idea of community and connecting with people, but any thoughts for 2021? Man, the big question that we're all asking each other. I think some races will continue to happen. I mean, there we it we seem to be showing that small regional style events with heavily modified situations can happen um, without, at this point, known detrimental effects, known community COVID spread. It's really hard to foresee the giant event giant also in air quotes i mean this is trail running and ultra running but our our biggest events happening in a way that represents previous normal like you said i think there's going to be some sort of new normal and i think the big race organizations are really brainstorming on on how they can exist next year in some sort of modified modified way so i think it's going to be a year of creativity i think there's going to be um some 
some busts. I mean, some, you know, uh, events and races that try to do things, but then at, just can't pull it off because of, you know, localized or regional community spread or just not being able to get all of the local administrators on their side or, um, you know, supporting it. It's, yeah, I think it's going to be a really creative year. I think we'll see some racing. I think we're going to see, I mean, I hope you guys have your fingers ready because I think fastest known times are, is still going to be a boom year. <laughs> well, you're right about that, Megan. So uh, we, we need to, we need to follow other people's lead here and bring on some, uh, some help because like you said, FKTs are booming. Well, to wind this up, Zoe, what are you thinking? I, you know, I guess my like last thought is like what, you know, just seeing so many women take on the Nolan's line and see that, I mean, just, you know, like Megan said, the dial just got moved in a huge way. Like, what would you love to see happen like between, you know, other female trail runners? Like how can we better support and push each other to get, you know, what, a, if it's FKTs or personal FKTs, um, get those times lower. Like what would you like to see happen? Where would you like to see the energy go? How would you like to see coverage of these things change? Oh, I think, um, I think there are, a lo- okay. So no races this year. One of the things I have noticed is, and this is, with with trying to go fast and with just trying to advent, adventure, so many more women are taking to the mountains, the hills, the canyons, the forests than in the past, independent of other women, independent of men, independent of race scenarios. I can't tell you how many times, and I, I realize I'm probably like, I have the bias looking for it on social media, but I feel like I've seen so many social media posts of a woman saying, I went out and backpacked by myself for the first time. It was a little bit scary. I did it and I want to do it again. And um, to me, like that's going to be one of the coolest things coming out of um, COVIDian times is that uh we know for sure we've researched this. We understand this, that there are, uh, there are reasons why women do not go to remote locations by themselves. They fear they have in the past feared, um, various issues that are real things. And there are, um, so many women who have, uh, who are attempting to look at those fears, face them, walk into them and, um, try to see what's what's beyond them. I honestly, I think that's one of the biggest things, biggest and coolest takeaways of COVIDian times is just more women getting uh, further out there. We have incredible skill sets thanks to trail races and ultra races and years of endurance training and taking those skill sets and applying them to wild environments. I think we're going to see a lot more women a lot further out from here on. Oh, man, I hope so. That's the dream, huh? Yeah, totally. (laughs) And we will hopefully have some of them on this very podcast. Thank you two very much. Thanks so much, Buzz. Buzz, Zoe, this is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Megan. It's such a treat to get to talk to you after such an amazing summer. Well, you had a good summer yourself, too. (laughs) Good one out there. (laughs) 